0: On this edition of the Pigpen Podcast, I'll have the latest on Jordan Reed and where I think the Redskins should go with the tight end position moving forward as we inch closer to the NFL Draft. Plus, we'll talk a little bit about Adrian Peterson and Josh Norman. At the very end of the podcast, Dwayne Haskins told GQ how he spent his first million dollars and there is one piece of information that really stuck out to me. All that and more coming up. Drag up that diesel. Oh. On his feet. hold. He's got the first down of the 40. He's gone. The 35, the 30, the 20. He's gone. He's gone. Touchdown, Washington Redskins. This is the Pigpen Podcast. I'm your host, Denton Day, at DentonDay on Twitter to connect with me tweet at me all your thoughts on this podcast as well as just general Redskins information as always if this is your first time listening be sure to subscribe to the Hogshaven podcast feed wherever it is that you get your podcast the Redskins are having a whole lot of fun so far this offseason maybe fun isn't the right word but they're doing things which I don't think we normally do very often in the month of February when I did last week's podcast I thought hey maybe you'll have another week and a half two week break but here we are continuing to make moves, and I am perfectly fine with that because the more moves we make, the more things I have to talk about. And if you hadn't been able to tell by now, I like talking. Maybe it's because I like the sound of my own voice or I just like interacting with you. Pick whichever one that you decide. Uh, But uh, we got a lot of stuff to talk about. Briefly, we will start. We will get to the Jordan Reed stuff in just a second, but we're going to start with Adrian Peterson. The Redskins are picking up his club option. I think that's a really good move. I would be very, very hesitant to listen to any arguments stating otherwise. Uh, I think he's proven at this point he can still go. And for the Redskins, I know the plan is at one point to give the keys over to Darius Geis, but because of injuries and a couple other factors, that has not been the case so far. So I see no no reason to not bring Adrian Peterson back. So I like the move there. And hopefully Hopefully, we can actually have, for the first time, a real balance between those two guys for a full season. But if not, I mean, Adrian Peterson, like I said, has proven the ability to carry a team still at his age, despite the fact that he is way over the curve for running back shelf life. I mean, he he has cruised way past that. Usually at 30, everyone falls off a cliff. He's, he's living his life, though. He's doing everything that he has uh, been able to do for the entirety of his career still. And until he proves otherwise... The Redskins should keep him around. I think he's kind of been a little rejuvenated, so to speak, in his run here, which I didn't know. I didn't really know that was going to happen when we signed him. You know, when we first signed Adrian Peterson, I was a little skeptical, as I'm sure most people were, because he was over that hump, but he has proven to be very much worthy of every single penny that we have given him so far. So I like the idea of keeping him around. I don't know what that means for Chris Thompson. He is a free agent. um, So I don't know if the Redskins are going to keep him, if they're going to go in the direction of Adrian Peterson. Uh, Darius Geis and Bryce Love so I don't 100% know what that means as as we get closer to free agency we are about 3 weeks away as we get closer to that I'm sure we will have much more information and insight as to where the team plans to go with Chris Thompson. But with Adrian Peterson coming back, that is obviously a big-time move. And then, of course, because this always happens after I record a podcast saying something, uh, Josh Norman was released. So I don't know what that means for Quentin Dunbar. That's how I'm deciding to look at this. I knew Josh Norman was going to be released. You knew Josh Norman was going to be released. Your next-door neighbor knew Josh Norman was going to be released. Everybody knew it was happening. There was no there was no way other than this weird idea of Ron Rivera just really really loving him but ultimately Rivera was the guy that cut him so we knew that was happening that saved the team a lot of money and the Redskins cap situation is actually in a a really nice spot right now that's kind of weird to say we don't normally we're not normally the best cap team in the world but this offseason we are in a really good spot to hopefully make a a, a couple of nice moves i don't want to say major splashes because the major splashes normally don't work but hopefully the team can make some nice moves with right now the 50 plus million dollars in cap space that is that's going to grow a little bit hopefully uh, when we make a decision on Jordan Reed but with Josh Norman gone that does leave a bit of a hole in the secondary and just from a body perspective uh, I know we've had some, we've seen some conversations and some rumors about maybe James Bradbury, uh, the other number twenty-four in Carolina, maybe bringing him along. Not against the idea. Uh, I think at this point, we if we can get anyone who has proven to be a good corner at the NFL level, that would be a plus. But I am a little skeptical of just bringing in former Panthers. You know Our coaching staff is basically the Carolina Panthers coaching staff from all of the years that Ron Rivera was there with Jack Del Rio, uh, So just adding him to the fray. I'm not 100% sure I enjoy that, but, I mean, hey, beggars can't really be choosers at this point, and this is what we got. Um, so I'm not 100% against James Bradbury, but it does make me a little nervous of just bringing in all of the former Carolina Panthers because, as we know, Carolina didn't win a Super Bowl. You could call this run in Carolina a bit of a success, but it ultimately didn't accomplish the main goal. And I don't know if we just want to continue to bring that. Here, but it is what it is. If we can get James Bradbury, I think that would be a huge plus. All right, let's talk about this Jordan Reed situation because this is really, really weird. It's really, really painful, more for him than it is for me. But from a fan's perspective, it's painful. From a just a human being's perspective, it's painful. He has been in the concussion protocol, or I should say, he was, because as of earlier this morning, multiple sources, the Athletic, Washington Post, all the all of them have reported that Jordan Reed is officially out. Of the concussion protocol so congratulations to him it only took him six months to get out of the concussion protocol and when I saw that that he was still in it earlier this week and when you do that math you don't really need to do you don't need to do that math really to to be able to decipher how long that is but when you actually do it you realize oh my god that's half a year that this dude was in concussion protocol I didn't even know concussion protocol lasted that long it's not that I thought there was a time limit or anything but I didn't think concussions lasted for six months like I'm just maybe I'm just uh, oblivious. Maybe I, I just don't understand how these things work. I'm ignorant to how concussions work. But I didn't think they lasted six months. I mean that's incredibly frightening that he was still going through some of the 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 symptoms, or he just hadn't been able to kick that concussion from that Keanu Neal hit a hit, mind you, that Neal wasn't actually punished for, which still kind of irks me a little bit. But that's neither here nor there. That's out of our control at this point. But the fact that he was still in it for six months, I mean, good God, man. If that's not a wake-up call, I don't really know what is. Like, I understand we love guys that love the game. And I am kind of old school in that mentality that I like guys that like to play football. I think that's the best type of guys that you can have on your team. But you got to really love football to be concussion protocol for six months and still want to play. Now, he's not playing with us anymore. Like the Jordan Reed era is unfortunately done here in D.C., and I use the term unfortunately because I do think Jordan Reed will become one of D.C. sports' biggest what-ifs because there was a point in time where he was actually the second-best receiving tight end, second only to Rob Gronkowski, who might be the the game's best receiving tight end ever. Jordan Reed was the second-best guy as a receiving tight end only to Gronk for a, specific, for a very short period of time before he, before he ended up getting hurt. Um, so we'll look at we'll look back at the Jordan Reed era as kind of a big what if because I do think I I do think there was a whole lot of potential for Jordan Reed to to be really really good and he was the second best receiving tight end to Rob Gronkowski very early in his career and I think had he been able to actually play a lot and the team used him correctly and use him in the way that benefited him, which they did have a good idea of how to do. I mean, we can knock Jay Gruden for a lot of things. He did seemingly know how to use Jordan Reed well when he was actually healthy and when Jordan Reed wasn't holding people. There there was a lot of potential for him to be really, really good. And so I think that will look at uh, eventually is a, a big, big what if in terms of the city sports land landscape. Not like all of sports because there are people outside of uh This area really that probably don't care a whole lot about Jordan Reed. They just know him as a guy from fantasy football and a guy that was hurt all the time. But us in the D.C. sports realm, we knew how good this guy could have been and to see him ultimately end up not being good because of injuries and not just injuries, the same consistent injury, which is one of the more scarier injuries that you could have in this game. It is very, very sad to see. I think he kind of goes right up there, maybe just a little bit below the the what if surrounding Gilbert Arenas. And that's Gilbert Arenas' knee injury, not the gun situation. Because I think people kind of tend to forget that Gilbert Arenas did tear up his knee before he did the whole gun thing. I think Reed falls right under that because Gilbert was just a completely different animal in himself. And he was... I'm mean, i not going to do a full podcast on Gilbert Arenas here, but if you knew Gilbert Arenas and you watched Gilbert Arenas during the mid-2000s, you know just how good that dude was as a scorer. And I think Jordan Reed is kind of right under there in terms of recent what-ifs in the D.C. sports landscape, maybe with the 2012 Nationals, had they not shut down Strasburg uh, in that series against the Cardinals and leading up to that series as well. Those are three that are just sticking out. This is right off the top of my head. It's not even in my notes, but... With, the, with Jordan Reed being in the concussion protocol, he is out now, but being in it for six months, it's time for the Redskins to move forward. That seems to be the case, and doing so is going to free up a good amount of money. Now, there are dollar amounts that are going to shift and change when it comes to cutting him because he's not in the concussion protocol anymore, but as far as how the cap hit is going to be and how much money the team is going to save, I believe that is going to be relatively similar. So right now, we're looking at the team uh, who ha- entered this this week with $52 million in cap space. Well, now we're going to bump up to $60 million in cap space this offseason, which is a huge amount of money, something that we are not really used to the team having. And it's scary because when the team does have money like this, they usually end up spending it on Albert Haynesworth or things of that nature, which we haven't done a whole lot recently, which is a big plus. And I'm hoping that trend continues. I mean, the Landon Collins contract was huge, but they were able to structure that that was actually pretty team-friendly, at least for the first few years. I'm hoping for more contracts like that. And Collins didn't have the greatest year in the world, but he still proved to be really, really good. He didn't earn Sean Taylor's number. I know he said he wanted to earn that number, and I respect that. He did not earn it yet, so I sure hope he doesn't he doesn't come into the season thinking he's going to wear 21 because that's not the case. But that was a good contract. I'm hoping for more contracts like that if we do decide to go outside of the organization for free agency money. Obviously, some of that is going to be built into certain extensions. We'd like to keep Brendan Sheriff. I think that would be a uh, that should be high up on the priority list. I don't know where Quentin Dunbar stands on said priority list, but I would imagine keeping him is something the team would like to do. And then whatever the hell happens with Trent Williams, if we can keep him, again, that should be a big plus, assuming the money is right. But the team with $60 billion, that does give them a good amount of options as to where they could decide to go with the tight end position. Because at this point in time in the NFL, just the way the game is played, you need tight ends. Right? I mean, you need tight ends. You need guys that can either catch the ball, just big bodies that can catch the ball. Ideally, you would like to have a guy that can catch the ball and also block. Unfortunately, Jordan Reed was not that guy. He could catch the ball, not the best blocker in the world. And when he did lay down a couple good blocks, there was a good amount. There was a good chance he was holding. So he he was really good at holding. He was really good at catching passes. Uh, obviously, you would like to. To get a guy that can do both of those things, you thought maybe just for a second that Greg Olson was going to come over and come over from North Carolina, not North Carolina, but from the Carolina Panthers. If it was the one guy, of course, that didn't come over from Ron Rivera's tenure, it was Greg Olson. He signed with the Seahawks. Good luck uh, finding success in Seattle, a team that has proven for However long Pete Carroll has been there, they cannot use tight ends properly. They didn't use Jimmy Graham the right way, so I don't know why Greg Olson thinks all of a sudden they're going to be able to use him the right way. Probably not going to happen, but kudos to him anyway because he's ring-chasing. There are still a good amount of options at the tight end spot, though. The problem is we're going from Jordan Reed, who had a history with injuries, to this tight end market, many of whom have a history with injuries. I mean, Hunter Henry's on the market. You look at him. Young, he's 25, and you're like, okay, well, that 25 year old, yes, that's pretty good age. Um, He's hitting the open market. He's good, but he's also got a a history with injuries. And do you really want to go from Jordan Reed to, to Hunter Henry for the dollar amount? Because despite the fact that Hunter Henry has a whole lot of injury history, he's still going to command a good amount of money on the open market. Yeah, you know, probably not there, but he is an option for the team. And because we do have a good amount of cap space, it's something you can at least flirt with. But I would say maybe stay away from Hunter Henry. Eric Ebron seems like the best option, the most realistic option in terms of how he would fit here. But the problem is you could take Eric Ebron and plug him into a couple different teams. And because of that, he's probably going to command a good amount of attention on the market. I don't think his his dollar amount is going to be the same as Hunter Henry. But the attention might be a little bit uh, deeper because you can plug him in with so many different offensive systems and because he's not going to be as expensive teams kind of like. Being able to save a little bit of money. Funny how that works. They're just like you and I. Like, I like saving money on groceries. They like saving money on tight ends. It's funny how that works. But he, I would say, that's kind of the home run ball. I mean, if we can get on our Henry for cheap and he's healthy, that would be like the best case option. That's the best case scenario. But the realistic home run ball, I would say, would be Eric Ebron. Tyler Eifert is another guy that I'm interested in. But again, it comes down to this injury thing because there was a point in time where Tyler Eifert was really good. He caught 13 touchdowns in 13 games for Cincinnati. It was one of the actual good years that Cincinnati had in the Andy Dalton era. But then he was riddled with injuries. And so you look at all these tight ends and you're like, well, Hunter Henry, really good injury. Tyler Eifert, good at one point. Injury never really been able to put it together since. Uh, we're not going after Jason Witten, who was on the open market. That's funny, Would yeah, no. Um, Austin Hooper is a guy that you look at and like, all right, well, Hooper had some real success in Atlanta, but he's going to be really expensive. I don't really like to do like the spot track, the spot track, however, the, the hell you say that website, that contract website. I kind of made a fool of myself this time last year looking at the uh, estimated market value. When it came to the wide receivers and how those numbers were completely all over the place, but of the tight ends that I just mentioned, Hooper's estimated market value is the highest. My gut says that he probably stays in Atlanta, so that's not something we're going to have to worry about. But there are a couple other free agent tight ends, but when you look at a free agent tight end market, it's not rich, right? I mean, it's, it's just a bunch of guys with injuries and Eric Ebron and Austin Hooper, and Hooper's probably not going to actually hit the open market. So it's Eric Ebron and injured guys and old guys. So that's not exactly the uh, the best feeling in the world, which is also why I'm scared about this Eric Ebron thing, because there's not a lot of options. Teams are going to go super heavy on him, and that worries me a little bit if for the agency is the direction that we decide to go, but thankfully, the NFL does this the right way, and we do free agency before we do the NFL draft, Um, so we're going to be able to see what we can get in free agency, and if we can't get Eric Ebron, there are actually a few good tight ends in this NFL draft. It's not great. It's certainly not anywhere near as stacked as the wide receiver class. For this NFL draft because the receiver class is just stupidly deep, which I do think the Redskins are hopefully going to have some fun with uh, come uh, April and May as we get closer to the draft because the receivers are just absurd this year. But there are a couple good guys to look after, at least to keep an eye on as we are leading up to the NFL draft. Of course, the combine is a little over a week and a half away from beginning. I think it's the very end, the final few days of February that starts up. So that's just a couple guys to kind of keep an eye on there. I'm a huge fan. Of Thad Moss. I've been a big LSU guy this year because I love Joe Burrow and because LSU was really, really good, and I work in the the realm of college sports as well, so I kind of had my eye on LSU a ton. I really like Thad Moss. The problem with Thad Moss, though, is the problem we had with Jordan Reed in that he's not the best blocker in the world, but he's the son of Randy Moss. He can catch football, and if we're looking to add a guy at the tight end position solely for pass-catching situations... Thad Moss is going to be a guy that we can bring in. And because he was he was surrounded by so much talent at LSU and because he was in an offense that really maximized his strengths and just the, the overall pass-catching strengths of everyone on the team, he might fall a little bit in the draft, which I think benefits us because I wouldn't go for Thad Moss in the first or second round. But if you can get him in the third or the fourth round, that's a pretty good deal. I mean, like he's he is the he is the son of Randy Moss, and that gets you something, but he's just really good too. He has great footwork, he has great ability to catch the ball. He's four or 6'3, 250 pounds. It's a pretty good size. So if you're looking for a guy that says, say, hey, we want you to come in and we want you to catch passes, Thad Moss is a guy that you're gonna look at and say, okay, this is someone if we can get in the third or fourth round, you gotta pull the trigger on. Maybe not in the first or the second round. That might be reaching a little bit, but if he's there in the third or the fourth round, pull the trigger. Bring the guy in and good things are going to happen. Uh, Cole Kmet, Cole Met, I don't know if the K in his name is silent, but it's spelled K-M-E-T. The tight end from Notre Dame, he's 6'5", 250 pounds. Again, another really good pass catcher. A lot of good pass catching tight ends. In this class, it is kind of a top-heavy class, but a lot of good pass-catching tight ends. But you look at the size, 6'5", 250, you should be able to transition that guy into a good blocker as well if he's not there already. So that's a guy who's probably going to be the top-rated tight end on a lot of teams' draft boards. And because of that, I don't know where the Redskins will be able to kind of swindle in and grab him. I don't see... Because of the depth of so many other positions in this year's class and because everybody obviously loves to rush the passers, you're going to get a lot of pass rushers in the first and second round. I don't really know where the tight ends are going to fall. Tight ends are always a weird position to predict because there are a couple years where you will have a bunch of tight ends go in the first round. It's like, whoa, this is this is really out of the ordinary, but then you have another couple years where they might fall a little bit, and this could be one of the years that they fall a little bit, and it's not because they're bad; it's because everyone else at every other cl- position in the class is so good. But that's not a bad thing because it benefits us. And I, as a Redskins fan, like it when things benefit us. So hopefully, again, if Moss and Met or Met, I don't know how to. F- we're just gonna call this dude Cole, uh, for the foreseeable for the duration of this podcast at least. If Thad Moss and Cole are still available in the third or fourth round, you're kinda of flipping a coin between those two and saying, All right, let's let's pick up one of these guys and keep it moving there. Jared Pinkney's another guy from Vanderbilt his numbers are going to deceive you a little bit because he played at Vanderbilt and Vanderbilt is terrible but he's 6'4", 240, 54 pounds. Again, that's good size. You could hopefully transition him into becoming a better blocker and Thad Moss fits into that category as well even though he is going to be a pass catching guy first. With that size, transition him into a good blocking tight end and good things will happen and then the The one guy that's really going to stick out, and this is a guy that probably you can get in the later rounds, I'm talking like fourth, fifth, sixth round here, Colby Parkinson from Stanford. The 6'7 thing just, I mean, it it high jumps off the page at you. When you see a tight end that's 6'7, that is a big, big dude. He's a good pass catcher. His quarterback did get hurt uh, in his final year at Stanford, um, but a 6'7 tight end at 240. The, The weight isn't the the biggest in the world, but for the love of God, the dude's 6'7", how many times do I need to say it? That's a huge individual. And if we can get that guy playing tight end for us, I mean, I know Jay Gruden loves his fades, but we might actually have to start running some fades for a guy that is 6'7". I mean, that's a huge dude. That's a basketball player. That's a wing basketball player lining up at tight end. And if you can get him late in the draft, that's a guy that you look at and say, all right, let's, let's go ahead and pull the trigger there. And then the final guy, at least here, I'm not I don't I didn't go through every single tight end that is going to possibly be drafted here, but Hunter Bryan from Washington. The issue with him is we mentioned the great size of everybody else. His size is a bit subpar. He's 6'2, 239. It's not terrible size. It's not great size, though. And to see a 6'2 guy blocking the defensive end, I mean, do you really see that 6'2, 239 trying to block somebody like uh, I mean, just pick up pick any of the great edge rushers that we have in our division, especially if the Giants go ahead and draft somebody like Derek Brown. Like, do you see a 6'2, 239 guy blocking Derek Brown on the edge? Probably not. So there's a good chance that Hunter Bryant, depending on the system he gets put into, could transition to wide receiver. But just another guy to keep an eye on as we move forward towards the combine. As of right now, Thad Moss would still be my number one option because I watched him. He's a good route runner. And, I mean, if you got him in the third or fourth round, pull the trigger on him. Like, I really just believe that. Pull the trigger on him. He's the third or fourth round. He's the son of Randy Moss. Good things happen when you draft guys that you know can play football. And Randy Moss's kids don't mess around, right? Like, Randy, Randy we know what Randy Moss is. Randy Moss' kids don't mess around. There are a couple kids uh, of former legends that you know, all right, well, they might have some problems. Randy Moss's kid doesn't strike me as a kid that's going to have some problems because he's trying to outlive Daddy's shadow. He, he's doing pretty good for himself at LSU. I think he could do pretty good for himself here in D.C. And I like all of the the weapons that we already have here. So pairing Thad Moss up with some of the guys that we have already, I think could be a real, real big win for the Redskins. But those are just a couple of the tight ends in the draft and in free agency. I'd love to know your thoughts on those at Denton underscore day on Twitter. But I tease this to start the show. Dwayne Haskins went on GQ and discussed how he spent his first million dollars. There is one piece of information that stood out above everything else So as I was preparing for this podcast, I'd kind of do this weird thing where I just kind of surf around the Internet a little bit just to get some ideas. And I was reading some of the stuff on The Athletic and, of course, here on Hawkshaven and The Post and just kind of gathering information, NBC Sports Washington, all that stuff, all the the reputable sites that you can actually gather information from. But I always have YouTube open. When I'm on the computer for whatever reason, it's because I'm probably a stupid millennial, but I just really like watching YouTube videos. And I had YouTube open, refresh the page, and right on the ba- right on the center of the page, I saw with GQ Sports Dwayne Haskins how he spends his first million dollars. And I looked at the timestamp, and it had literally been put up ten minutes before. I took that as a divine sign. I'm like, all right, I have to watch this. I have to include this in this week's podcast. So I watched it just to make sure that you didn't really have to. I mean, I would still suggest that you do. I was very pleased with what I saw from Dwayne Haskins. He seemed like a kid with his head on his shoulders the right way, which I think is really, really huge. Uh, But he basically discussed how he spent his first million dollars. And the first thing that he said was when he got his first signing bonus, he put 70% away and had 30% for spending money. So right off the bat, that's a huge plus. And not that we really should care what he does with his money. Let me preface this before I dive too deep into this. Like, This is not going to be something where I want people to just start harassing Dwayne Haskins because of what he spent his money on. It's just something that I found interesting. And like you, I like interesting things. And I like talking about interesting things. And because this is a tight-knit Redskins community I think it would be fun to dialogue on some of this stuff. And everything that I learned in this video about Dwayne Haskins made me like him even more because he's not Albert Hainsworth. He's not going out and spending $200,000 on jewelry. He did spend a little bit of money on jewelry, but it wasn't this massive amount of money with all this unnecessary things. And at least in this video, he's not skipping out on bar tabs like Albert Hainsworth used to. His first big purchase was that Bentley. It was $250,000. That was the biggest purchase that he made other than his house that he bought for his mom, which he did not include in his first million dollars. He said because it wasn't for him, which I thought was fine. And it also would have made the video terribly boring because the house was like $750,000 and $750,000 plus $250,000. That's a million. Boom. Video over. So they decided, hey, we're just not going to count that. He just mentioned it. Um, But the $250,000 Bentley was easily the most expensive thing. Uh, He traveled a little bit, which is about $10,000. He said it was closer, probably to five or seven, but because GQ said, hey, we have a video to make, we're going to round that up. And they rounded it up to $10,000. He did buy some jewelry because, of course, I mean, that's just. I'm not thinking, like, nobody should be thinking, oh, you're an NFL player, don't buy jewelry. They're going to buy jewelry. He didn't, He just wasn't spending an absurd amount of money on it like Albert Hainsworth was. He still spent a lot of money, just not an absurd amount of money. It was close to $70,000 on jewelry. He had a nice watch and... Um, a couple chains. There was, a, there was a ring on there, I think, as well. So a couple of different pieces for $70,000, which to the normal working man or woman, holy hell, that's a lot of money. But to football players, that's really not that much. And I'm not like a jewelry connoisseur of sorts. I have a $15 necklace that I've worn every day for the past like four years. So I don't go too hard with the jewelry thing. But I do know uh, some of the prices that he said for his jewelry. I know he got a deal on some of those. Um, so that's a big plus. He did spend a lot of money on clothes. You know, he had some nice, really, really nice suits that he spent a good amount of money on and just clothes in general, what he called drip. As the kids are saying now, he had to have some nice drip. Uh, that was about $50,000. He's basically getting a whole new wardrobe, right? Because not in college anymore. Like the stuff that you wear across Ohio State's campus that works at Ohio State. And also because you can't really have that drip on the campus of Ohio State without raising a few eyebrows. But now that he's a man now that Now that he's a professional, he actually spent some real money. He's not just wearing sweats all the time. So he spent about $15,000. And like I said, a lot of this is probably rounded up because GQ has has a video to make. And they had to make this sound cool. And there was also everything was basically um, to the 10th. So there's not like, hey, I spent $9,000 on this. No, like we're going to round this up. You spent $10,000 on that. So that's how that went. Uh, he He did. There was a funny story in there about how he lost a bet to Deshaun Watson and Deshaun Kaiser and a couple other guys that he worked out with, and he had to pay for dinner, and he was expecting it to be just everybody that worked out with them, and then everyone who worked out with him bought some friends, and he basically ended up spending $10,000 on dinner, which obviously you're like, hey, that kind of sucks. Why are you going to make him do that? But that's just how football players roll. That I did think was kind of funny. He did spend a good amount of, of uh um, of food with like team dinners and stuff like that, taking the offensive line out, which is something that you do. Uh, it's customary, basically, at this point, as quarterback, to to take guys out, take your line out, and make sure the real relationship there is is good, because if you piss the offensive linemen off, they stop blocking for you, they stop blocking for you, you start getting killed, Um, so him doing that was good, and he did actually stress in the video, he would do that again, like, he had no quarrels about that one, he would do that every chance he can, um, if he got the opportunity to do so, and if, like, financially that was the smart move, Um, so that, again, I said, I watched this video and started liking him more, that was one of the things that stood out, it's like, okay this dude actually gets it, that's what I, um, that's where I really like about that. He did help his sister a little bit with college. There was like a loved ones section and he started the section off saying, hey, I still, I do know how to say no to people. So I'm not just handing out money to everybody because I had science class with them in 12th grade. Like I I know how to say no to people. I'm just helping the people that I care about and helping his sister out. And he said his sister was Super talented, and he he made a joke about how his dad said his sister was more talented at what she does than he is at what he does, and considering that right now he's at least projected to be a starting NFL quarterback, it's safe to assume that his sister is probably really damn good at whatever it is that she does. So he helped her a little bit out there with college, and then that was that. So everything that I just mentioned there was about $450,000. The rest of the money for his first million dollars were all taxes and this is where I this has been a super long tease I did not intend for this tease to be a 30-minute tease that's just kind of how uh, it turned out to be this this is what I, I learned from this video this is the biggest piece of information I took away from this because of the taxes were so high. it's $550,000 rounded up in taxes but what he said is and the producer one of the producers asked him about this you get taxed as an NFL player for where it is that you play your game. So every week, NFL players get game checks. Well, if Dwayne Haskins is leading the team into New York to play the Giants, that check gets taxed at a New York tax rate. So you get taxed per game in the state in which you play in, which I had never really taken that into consideration. I guess if you were to really think about it, if you you were just to sit down and think about how taxing would work among NFL players, that would make a whole lot of sense. Like, yeah, duh, that's how that would work. But because I had never done that, it had never really made sense to me that, oh, yeah, they're going to get taxed per state that they play in on a weekly basis. And because everyone's taxes are a little different, that could have a really big impact. And there could be a situation, especially here, because we have a New York team in our division. Like, there could be a situation where... The Redskins go to New York to play the Giants, they go to New York to play the Jets, they go to New York to play Buffalo, and that's three New York taxed games, and then we could also just travel out to play the Rams in Los Angeles or the 49ers or play one of those damn California teams so you could have four games of just stupidly high taxes and that's pretty crazy to think about here and I know this is like we're talking big big money for NFL players and stuff but I had just never really really thought about that and I talked to a couple NFL players every now and then just guys that I work with on a daily basis and for whatever reason that doesn't really come up a lot because obviously who am I to ask other people about their money But that's just something I found interesting. That was the most interesting thing about this entire video. It's about a 10-minute video, is that NFL players get taxed based on the state that they are playing in that week. I had never thought that that was actually a real thing, but it is. And that's pretty crazy to think about it when when you really add all of the numbers up together. So it's like some guys are really getting screwed when it comes to their paychecks, and other guys are kind of lucking out a little bit. Like if you don't have to play new york at least once a year you're kind of lucking out a little bit if you play a bunch of teams in texas that's a big win for you their taxes are significantly lower than that of, of like new york like even here in virginia and dc our taxes and maryland too our, our taxes aren't absurd like especially because our stadium is technically in maryland so you're getting taxed in maryland right there our taxes aren't absurd they're not anything near new york or for god's sakes california the most taxed state in this country I mean that's it's abysmal really it's painful to just sit back and understand like you could play 3 games in California and just get screwed on the taxes and that that sucks I mean it really does um, but that's going to kind of wrap it up for this edition of the Pigpen Podcast. If you liked anything, if you didn't like anything, hopefully you liked more than you disliked, let me know on Twitter at Denton underscore Day. I'd love to know what you thought about all of Dwayne Haskins' purchases. Hopefully nice things. Like I said, don't attack the kid because he spent a million dollars. If you have money, you're going to spend it. That's how that works. But I thought as a um, as a young dude, he handled his financial purchases Pretty, pretty well. But that's going to do it for this week's edition of the Pigpen Podcast. Rate, review, and subscribe on iTunes. Subscribe on Spotify. Follow me on Twitter at Detton underscore Day. And I will see you next week with another edition of the Pigpen Podcast.